I hope you brought a Bible with you this morning, because if you did, I believe that God has a word for you. I know he had a word for me as I was preparing this message for this morning, and I believe he has a word for each one of us. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, the eighth chapter. Acts chapter eight, we're going to be looking together in a few moments at a passage I believe most of you will be familiar with. You know, there are and always have been, I believe, in the world of Christianity, those individuals that most people look up to. We read their writings, we hear their preachings, we see the impact that they've made in the world around us. Names like Edwards, Whitfield, Spurgeon, Graham, the list goes on and on and on. Most of you are familiar with some of those names, or at least one of those names, but there are a lot of lesser-known names that I would trot out before you. Names like Hill, Logsdon, Adams, Lady. Those names don't mean anything to you, but those men were pastors that poured into my life as a young man, as a, a child, as a teenager, as a student, and helped me to become the man, the minister that I've grown to become. I think sometimes we have a tendency to look at the first list of names. We think about who would we consider to be giants of the Christian faith? And you know, one of the things that intrigues me about the list that most people would put together, they're those great preachers and evangelists and missionaries that, whose names ring down through the ages but most people, if you read their story, you will discover that someone unknown, someone seemingly insignificant, someone who was not in the ministry, someone who was just an ordinary Christian, whatever that is, loved them enough to share the gospel with them. And when their lives were changed, what they became turned their world on its head. The stories are so many, they're, they're too many to, to begin to unpack. Dwight L. Moody, he was just a shoe salesman. But when the Lord got a hold of his life, he used that man to literally shake the Christian world across two continents. And one of my personal favorites, well, you know, it had to do with what he did before he was saved, was a guy by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player. Now, don't forget he was known for his drunken, outlandish behavior as a baseball player, but when the Lord got a hold of him, he became an evangelist that shook the foundation of this nation. My point is simply this. I've come to realize something. Most of the people who make the greatest difference in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, in the world in which we live, are not people whose names are going to be remembered throughout history. And this morning, we're going to look at a guy that I think is kind of like that. We don't really know anything about him, other than the fact he's mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. His name's Philip. Most of you are familiar with this part of his story, though. 
And we're going to look at it together this morning in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. If you've got your Bible open to that place, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word and invite you to just follow along with me as we read together. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Here's the narrative. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came. To Caesarea. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we spend our time together in this, your word, we thank you that we can know it is true because it is inspired by you, that it is without error because you have kept it and protected it through the years. Father, I pray that as we open it and look upon the truth contained in, that you would speak to our hearts, teach us the truth we need to know. Father, help us to learn your word. And give us the courage to live it out, to walk it daily, that we might make an impact in the world in which you have placed us. Father, I thank you for the testimony of this man, his faithfulness, his willingness, his availability. And Father, as we spend these moments together, speak to our hearts. Teach us now, for we're ready to learn. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Philip was a man we first met in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. 
the church was struggling and needed to expand the leadership base. They needed servants. They needed people who would serve alongside the ministry staff of the church. And so they selected some men to take on that role. We, we call them oftentimes deacons. These men were set apart to minister to the flock, doing benevolence ministry, caring for those who had specific needs. But as they did so, they found out they had other gifts as well. And some of those men took upon themselves other jobs, other responsibilities, because their gifting fit those needs, those jobs. And it turns out that Philip was a great soul winner, loved to preach Jesus, loved to share Jesus, and had a knack and ability for doing so. Now, I, I just want you to know, we've got some folks like that in this congregation. We've got folks like that. Now, I think every church has them. Some churches have more, some churches have less, but we've got some of those in our church, soul winners that are gifted and available Maybe in your heart this morning, you have a longing to be used by God to make a difference in the lives of some people you know. Maybe they're friends, maybe they're family members, maybe they're classmates, maybe they're folks that live down the street or around the corner, but somewhere in your neighborhood. They may be people that you meet in the grocery store on a regular basis because you shop on the same day every month, and so do they. Who knows what it might be, but somehow God establishes a connection between you and somebody, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, how can I make a difference in that life? I want you to look at these verses with me this morning, and I want you to see what it takes to make a difference in the lives of the people we come in contact with by just simply looking at this man, Philip. I'm going to share with you three simple things. Are you ready to go? You listen fast, I talk fast, we get done fast. It's really an easy process, okay? So let's go with this thing. First thing I want you to know is this, that Philip was tuned in to the Spirit of God. He was tuned in to the Spirit of God. Listen, Philip wasn't looking. I want you to understand that Philip wasn't looking for a new place to go serve. In fact, if you go back and read the early part of this chapter in verses 5 through 8, you find out Philip was in a great place. Now, I know some guys who are in ministry that are always looking for the next place to go to. They're always looking to make a jump. They're always looking for something that they think is, is going to be better or greater or bigger or greener or what. I, I don't know what. I'm just going to tell you, whenever you find yourself in a great place, God has put you there. He has a purpose for you there. You need to lock in, put some roots down, and let God use you in that place. He'll make it plain when it's time to move. Philip was not looking to go anywhere. He was perfectly happy where he was. Well, how do you know that? He was engaged in a vibrant ministry, folks. If you go back and look at verses 5 through 8 in the beginning of this chapter, I'm not going to take you there and read it to you, but I, I want you to understand something. The ministry that was happening in the city of Samaria where he was at was a ministry that probably most Christian people would say, look at, oh yeah, that was highly successful. I mean, awesome things were happening. People were coming to know Jesus Christ. God was moving in a powerful way. Signs and wonders were being, do, being done. Folks that had been possessed by evil spirits were being set free. The spirits were being cast out. People that had been paralyzed and lame were able to get up and walk. I mean, amazing stuff was happening. It's the kind of stuff that a, a town would get excited about. And he was in the middle of it. And the town was excited about it. In fact, it tells us back there early in the chapter that the people of the city were rejoicing over everything that was happening, the way that God was moving, the lives that were being changed. It was a blessing to be there and be a part of that. In the midst of all of that stuff, the Spirit of God speaks to Philip. Now, I'm going to tell you something. 
I know those guys who are constantly looking for that new place to go. But I also know what it's like to be in a situation where everything is going absolutely awesome and God says, it's time. Those are those moments in ministry where you look at the ceiling and say, are you kidding me? Have you looked around? Do you see what it is that you're doing? Well, of course you do. You're the one doing it. But, but I love being here. I love being in the middle of this. And all of a sudden, God says, I got something else for you. That was Philip's situation. He was called to abandon this. It's been called a revival. It's been called a citywide crusade. It's been called a, 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 an area evangelism route. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, God says, I want you to leave all these people. I want you to leave all this great stuff I'm doing and go down in the desert. Are you kidding me? Down in the desert? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a man down there. I need you to go see him. Now, in our minds, in my mind, for years and years, I thought about this guy in a chariot by himself with a driver going down through the desert. Now, I understand something. This was the secretary of the treasury for the Cushites. Now, Ethiopia, as it's mentioned here, is not the same as Ethiopia as you'd find it on the map today. If you were to go look at an ancient map and see the area that's titled under Cush, that would be what they're talking about. Much larger area. Very important man. He, he controlled the treasury for the entire nation. He's not traveling by himself. More than likely, he's part of a huge caravan that's traveling together. But the Lord directs him. And I think this makes it so amazing. The Lord directs him to run up to this man's chariot. He picks him out out of that whole crowd. People say, well, you don't know that there was a big crowd. I want to tell you something. If there wasn't, then he's looking for this one man out in the desert. This is a needle in a haystack. Find. All right, so either way, this is a miraculous doing that God's Spirit is doing in this moment. He runs up and, 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 and listens to what's happening. I wonder sometimes, are we listening to the Spirit of God like that? Are we sensitive to hear when He's trying to direct us to go somewhere? Are we prepared to hear what He says and then act in response and, and go to someone with His message of grace? Friends, listen to me. God is, is definitely interested in definite results. He is still changing lives in our world one by one, person by person. He prepares people to hear the gospel. He sets them on a crash course with his servants, and then he sends in his foot soldiers. And, and that's, that's what Philip was. He was a foot soldier. And God sends him into that place, running into that place. Oftentimes when we're talking together, we talk about it having divine appointments. That's what this is. It's a divine appointment. God sends this man down into the wilderness and then sends Philip chasing after him. He's got him ready. It's just a matter of getting the two together. Here's the tragedy for church today. We get distracted too easily. We let other stuff get our attention. God puts people in front of us. He creates situations for us. He points us and directs us to them. But on our way to them, so often we get concerned with something else that we walk right by those people and right by those situations and we never engage in what God has prepared for us. I am so thankful. I am so thankful that Philip did not have an iPad or an iPhone. He wasn't reading something else. He wasn't expecting a phone call or waiting on a text. 
He had no other excuse at all. The Spirit of God had brought him to that place. And I just think it's so awesome when you read about this. I mean, did you see what it said? Look at verses 29 30, if you got your Bible open. The Spirit said to Philip, go. Verse 30, Philip ran. Now, I just want to know, is that how you and I respond when the Spirit speaks? Spirit says, go, we run. I think a lot of folks say, well, you know, I need to pray about this. No, you don't. The Spirit is God, and if He says go, you go. You don't wait around. You don't wait to see what's going to happen. Listen, if He speaks, you go. And that was Philip's action. He was so in tune with the Spirit of God that when the Spirit spoke, he responded. That's the first thing you need to learn about Philip. Philip was in tune with the Spirit of God. But let me tell you about the second thing you need to catch. Philip was familiar with the Word of God. There we go. He was familiar with the Word of God. So what's that got to do with anything? Brothers and sisters in Christ, please hear me. If you are not reading the Word of God, if you are not engaged in a study of the Word of God, if you are not immersing yourself in the Word of God daily, not, not just on Sunday, not just when you come to Sunday school, not just when you show up at, at a worship service and see who's going to tell you what. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you being immersed in the Word of God, finding time in the morning or finding time in your evening. By the way, you're not going to find any more time. You've only got what you got. So you're going to have to make time in the midst of your schedule. Whether that means morning, whether that means evening, whether that means the middle of the day, just depends on how you're living your life and what you're engaged in and what you're connected to. But you're going to have to make the time to be in the Word of God. Why is it such a big deal? Because you need to know the Word of God. You need to be knowledgeable of the Word of God. You need to be familiar with the Word of God. Do you know why that's important? Let's go back to the Word of God. Check with me. Verses 27, 28. Let's talk about this eunuch. Important guy. But he made it a point. Look at verse 27. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, I appreciate everybody in this congregation. I really do. I appreciate everyone in this congregation. I appreciate everything you do, and I appreciate the efforts you make, but I always get tickled when I hear somebody say, it's just so far to go to church. Africa to Israel. The dude went to Jerusalem to worship. He drove from one continent to another to go to church. I don't think God's asked any of us to do anything like that lately, has he? No. But it's important for us to be where we can connect to God's people and God's word. He made it a point. He went to Jerusalem to worship. Now look at verse 28. As he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was going home. Going home from church. Now I understand he wasn't going to make it in time for lunch. And the roast would probably burn if he had started it before he left. But he's on his way home from church. On his way home, he is reading. By the way, I would not encourage any of you while you're driving home today after church to reread this passage, okay? If you have someone in the vehicle with them, let them read to you. But don't you read it, okay? 
Pay attention. you got plenty of time to, to reread the Word of God. He's on his way back home, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. He's searching the Scriptures. He's going back over what he had heard at the temple, even though he had been in church, and he had been around God's people, and he had heard the Word of God. He hadn't found the answers he was looking for. And so he's digging in the Word. He's searching. He's trying to find. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy running up beside his chariot out of the dust. And Philip runs along beside him and hears him reading from Isaiah chapter 53. It's it's there in your text, verses 7 and 8. And Philip asked him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how could I? Unless someone explains it. By the way, whenever someone answers a question like that, what, what's happening is God's opening a door for a gospel conversation. It's kind of like, you don't get it, I can explain it to you. Let me explain to you what this really means. I don't know whether the man said it out of frustration or he was just being honest, but, but this wise man swallowed his pride and invited a total stranger to get in his car with him and explain to him the Word of God. Now, I say that, and some of y'all are thinking, well, he wasn't a very wise man. Let a stranger get in the car with him. He was a wise man. He was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had to have some wisdom in order to be able to do the job, but he also had to be wise enough to learn from others and pursue the truth at any cost. But I want you to see what happens here because this is incredibly important. Look down to verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and he preached Jesus to him. Where did he start? Beginning what? Beginning with this scripture. He recognized what the man was reading as Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. And he started in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And from that point forward, he preached Jesus to him. Folks, listen. We don't need to chase people around telling them stuff they're not interested in knowing or don't need to know. But we need to meet people where they are, in their experience, in their journey, in their knowledge. And we need to take them from there to Jesus as fast as we can get them there. And this is exactly what Philip did in this moment. How how difficult is it to explain that Jesus is the Son of God? That he was that lamb that was led to slaughter, offered as a sacrifice for our sins because we all need that sacrifice. Not because I'm better than you or you're worse than me or I'm worse than you and you're better than me. No, the Bible says that we're all sinners. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so we had to have this sacrifice. God sent his only begotten son that he could take our sin upon him. And when he went to the cross, he paid the price for our sin. He died on that cross. He was buried, but he rose again the third day. And today he sits at the right hand of God as our victorious Lord and Savior, interceding on our behalf every sin we ever commit. He's got it. It's the same message that's true today. It was valid then, it's valid now. No one but Jesus Christ has suffered for our sin and died for our sin 
to offer us forgiveness and hope and new life and eternity. No one. That's what Philip preached. Pretty simple. Except he was familiar with the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say something. And somebody's probably going to get ticked somewhere in the room. Get over it. Do not think. Do not think that just because you are a believer. That you can ignore and neglect the word of God. And in a moment when you find yourself in a conversation with someone who needs to hear a word from the Lord. Don't get frustrated because God doesn't just drop a bombshell out of the sky and let it come out of your lips. I'm not going to say he can't do it because God can do anything. I mean, he even spoke through a donkey, right? I'm toning that down for the children. But the reality is, if you want the word of God to pour out of your mouth in that moment, you need to spend time in the word of God. You need to read it. You need to learn it. You need to become familiar with it. You need to be knowledgeable of it. It is amazing how it happens, my friends. You'll be in the middle of one of those conversations, and somebody will say something, and all of a sudden a verse pops into your head, boop, it's out there. And you think to yourself, where did that come from? You've read it a million times. You've asked God to speak it and place it on your heart. He does. He answers those prayers. Philip was tuned into the Spirit of God, but he was familiar with the Word of God. And so he made himself available, and God used him in an amazing and mighty way. But let me get down to the last point of this thing, all right? Because I think this is where it really starts to get down to the nitty-gritty. Philip was proclaiming salvation through the Son of God. Now, I don't want you to make any mistake about what happened here. This is not about the power of Philip's skills of oratory. This is not about the spiritual prowess of this man. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the person of Jesus. There is power in the telling of the story of Jesus and the message of his coming and his living and his dying and his rising and why he did it and what it's for. This man had been prepared by the Spirit of God to hear the message of God. And when Philip came and he opened the Word of God, he presented the plan of God. In our humanity, too often, we want to look and say, oh, isn't he an amazing preacher? Isn't he a great evangelist? And we get all focused in on the messenger and we fail to understand all they are is a mouthpiece. All they are is a vessel that is used by God to bring and deliver the living water, the bread of life, the message that saves to unleash the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the credit doesn't go to the messenger, it goes to the message. Ten, Romans 10, 17 makes it so amazingly clear. We've looked at it before. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not us, it's the message. 
It was not then, it is not now, and it never will be the messenger. Messengers are going to come and go. But when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and puts that into people's lives, that's when conviction comes. That's when the Spirit begins to call and draw. That's when people's lives are changed, converted. They're born again into the kingdom of God, and they are transformed into something new. And when the good news of Jesus is shared, the power of God is unleashed, and those who are hearing will make a decision. They will either choose to reject what they have heard and ignore the claims of Christ on their life, or they will respond and they will receive. It's that simple. It's not ours to make them believe. It's ours to present the truth. Now, I want to pause long enough here as I draw to a close, trying to get you all to wake up and get excited. I want us to pause long enough to think about what Philip saw happen. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, wanted to be baptized. Now, I'm just going to talk to you, pastor to people here for a minute, all right? I've had a lot of people through the years come up to me and say, Preacher, I want to be baptized. I've had parents come up and say, Our child wants to be baptized. I've had grandparents come up and say, My, my grandchild wants to talk to you. They want to be baptized. Y'all are going to understand in just a minute why I love Philip so much. Now, please understand, I'm a Baptist, I believe in baptism. I get excited when I get to get in the water with people. I mean, I go swimming, and it's hard for me to not just go crazy on people that are around me in a swim pool. <laughs> That's why I don't go swimming very often. I mean, people get irate when you start slamming them under the water, you know. <laughs> I get excited about that. But baptism does not save people. Baptism does not change hearts, it does not change the spirit, it does not change the way a person lives their life or the things that they believe. So if you come to me and say, I want to be baptized, you come to me and say, my child wants to be baptized, my grandchild wants to be don't get offended when I say, slow down. We got to make sure that there's an engine under the hood before we go somewhere. And what I mean by that is, Baptism is not the first thing. It's not even the second thing. It's the third thing. Now I got you confused. So let's sort it out, shall we? You got your Bible open? Verse 36. They're driving along and he says to Philip, Look, there's some water. Now, that in itself is a miracle. They're out in the desert. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, I want you to see what Philip did. And before I go any further, I have to explain. You may be sitting there holding a Bible in your hands, and the words I'm about to share with you aren't there. Because a lot of modern translations have taken them out. And some of the early manuscripts, it's there. And some of the early manuscripts, it's not there. I think it needs to be there. 
Because here's what Philip said in verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Faith comes before baptism. Belief precedes baptism. You've got to believe with all your heart. If you do, then you can be baptized. And the eunuch said to him, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, folks, I want you to just look at that for a minute. I want you to think about it. All right? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. This is not a matter of saying, well, yeah, I heard a story or two, and I'm, I'm thinking that's pretty, no. This is a matter of placing your faith, your trust completely in. Understanding he's the one who can cleanse me of my sin. He's the one who can make me born again. He's the one who can give me life. He's the one who can give me hope. He's the one who can settle my eternity. And the eunuch looked at him and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If he's the Son of God, all of those other things fall under that one umbrella. He is the Son of God. I got excited when I was reading that. I know you couldn't tell. He said, I believe that he is the Son of God. Philip said, man, stop the chariot. Let's go. And down into the water they went. Now, you know why I got so excited about that verse? How many of y'all were here last Sunday? You don't remember. I know you're trying to figure out, was I here last Sunday? If you're having to think that hard about whether you were in church last Sunday, you're not coming to church often enough, all right? We meet on Sunday night and Wednesday evening as well. We'd love to have you with us. Last Sunday morning, I unpacked some verses for you. In Romans chapter 10. And what happens right here between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch is the fulfillment of what we find in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. Do you remember these words? You should remember these words. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth Confession. Confession unto salvation. Here's the reality. Here's what Philip was saying to this man. You got to believe it. You got to believe it with all your heart and you've got to confess it. And this man confesses his faith right there to Philip in the chariot in that moment. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they stopped and they baptized him. The man believed and baptized him. Wait a minute. You said there were three things. Yes, there are. You believe you profess, you follow in baptism. So when you come to me and say, well, I want to be baptized, we're going to have to have a talk. You come and tell me your child wants to be baptized, your grandchild wants to be baptized, we're going to have to have a talk. Because we're going to make sure things are done the way they need to be done. Because, see, that way we don't wind up 10 years later, 15 years later, coming back and say, I didn't understand what I was doing. No, you didn't. You just wanted to be baptized. But I'm going to tell you what happens if you go through that baptistry and you go through that water before you're saved. You get dunked. And when you come out the other side, you're no different than when you went in. 
But when you go in there after you have believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you have confessed that with your mouth, you go into that pool. When you come out the other side, you have identified yourself physically with the Christ that you have surrendered to spiritually and everything has become different. And my friends, let me wrap it up. People are waiting. People are waiting. Many of them don't even know they're waiting for you, but they are. The thing you have to figure out, the thing I have to figure out is, are they waiting on us? In particular, personally. And if so, I want to challenge you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to us, the church, believers, Southern Baptist Church. I'm talking to us, brothers and sisters in the family of God. If you're willing to be used, if you're willing to engage those who need to hear the gospel, remember three simple things. Listen to the Spirit. Use the Word of God. And focus on Jesus Christ. Now, for the last moment, are you sitting in this room this morning and you need to meet Jesus? You're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I've heard the stories and I've heard this stuff. I don't really get it. Okay. Let me ask you this. Are you ready and willing this morning to surrender control of your life to him? Are you willing to acknowledge today that he is your, not just your Savior, but he's your Savior and your Lord? That he is going to be in control of everything? Are you, are you ready to acknowledge that, that sin is a reality in your life just like all the rest of us? But that you're willing to receive his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I don't want anyone to walk out of here confused or not sure or not certain, and so let me dispel any confusion and extend to you this morning a personal invitation right now. Will you come to Jesus? He is the lamb that was sacrificed for your sin. And he loves you so much that he came to give you a gift that you can never buy, you can never earn, and you can never find anywhere else. It's called forgiveness. And it results in eternal life. And maybe you're just to that place of saying, I'm, I'm curious, I'm interested, I, I want to know more about this. Then let's have a conversation. I'll never embarrass you, I will not put you on the spot. But please don't walk away from the opportunity to meet my Jesus. Friends, hear me. It's not about religion. If it's about religion, this man was already there. He, he had already been to church. It's not about the church. He hung out in the temple. It's a whole lot grander than what this building is. It's about a personal relationship with a risen, living Lord who wants to change your life. But he will only do it
if you let him. Does that need to happen today? You decide. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to pray, and in a moment after I've prayed, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation. It's an opportunity for you. If you've heard the Word of God, and today you know in your heart there's something that needs to happen, something that needs to change. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're my brother or sister in Christ, and you say, God's been trying to get me to go and talk to this person, this friend, this coworker, this neighbor, this family member. And I, I, I've been telling him no because I'm scared. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid of, uh, of being rejected. I'm afraid of being laughed at. Maybe today you need to surrender to his leadership in your life. Maybe it's got nothing to do with any of that. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You feel like God's led you here. Maybe you're sitting here with your church smile on, but inside you're cringing and crying because your relationship's failing, your marriage is falling apart, your home is broken, and you need to bring it and give it to Jesus today and say, I can't fix this. Lord, can you help me? He will. Whatever it is he's speaking to your heart, I just ask you to hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A word that challenges us, calls us, and invites us to follow you, to be obedient to you, to be used by you. Father, I I pray this morning for us in this room, believing that there are some who do not know you. I pray that today your spirit would convict them, convict them of sin, convince them of the Savior, draw them to yourself. Father, I believe that this room is filled with my brothers and sisters, and you have an overwhelming desire to use them, to use us, to impact the world we live in every day, to touch the hearts of of our fellow students, our fellow workers, our neighbors, our family members, our friends, even our enemies. Father, we have to be willing to be used. I pray today, break down barriers. Create in us a clean heart that is willing and submissive, surrendered to your purpose. Father, if there are those who came into this room this morning broken, hurting, wounded, searching for help, searching for healing, searching for forgiveness, searching for encouragement, I pray that today they find it in this place. Lord God, you know every heart, you know every need, and you know what you do, want to do in every life. I pray right now that you just have your way so that when we leave this place, our lives will glorify you. Father, do what you will, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.